is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. What's up, everybody? Phil Toronto. We're back again with Open Dialogue. Today, we have John, founder of Hydrant. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Phil. I was wondering if you could tell the Open Dialogue listeners what's Hydrant. Yeah, absolutely. So Hydrant is a, uh, well, our original product was a powdered drink mix, uh, and it was for hydrating you faster than water alone. And as we've grown, we've started to expand into other wellness verticals. Really, the way we think about Hydrant is an accessible wellness platform. So uh, we have hydration at the core of all of our products with other functional benefits added on top of that. So right now we have an energy product, so it's hydration plus energy. We have an immunity product, which is hydration plus immunity. And there'll be some more stuff coming out through 2021 um, that we're excited to share soon. Amazing. We'll definitely stay tuned. I assume that you haven't been hydrating people your entire life. So what were you doing before you started Hydrant? So before Hydrant, I, I was in the Bay Area working at a tech company. It was a YC-backed uh, software startup. I was an early employee there, you know, where you wear many hats, lots of responsibilities. Um, but it's really just like a fire hose of learning. And that, that was really why I went there. It was just to learn as much as I could about tech startups in like the land where tech startups came from. This was some six or seven years ago at this point. So obviously things have changed a little bit in the epicenter of where one goes to learn those things. But I was effectively some mix between a product manager and a business development manager um, whilst there. And it was an amazing experience. As soon as the learning started to slow down, um, I hopped out to kind of pursue my own passion. And I come from a family where entrepreneurship is um, it, it's something a, a lot of the role models have pursued that path. And uh, my family was very supportive for me to go out on my own and uh, pursue things. I mean, that's, that's kind of the biggest key to the equation, I guess, is that support, because it, it's definitely a hard journey, as you can certainly lament, I'm sure, over, over the past years. Oh, yeah, was, it's, uh, it's a marathon. <laughs> was, your, was your first thing of your own, was that Hydrant, or did you have a couple? Uh, I mean, there were some, uh, some aborted uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, attempts along the line. Like in college, I, um, you know, I, I still think this failure was one of the things that got me my first job. Uh, I started this card like priority card to help you get into nightclubs faster Amazing. in my small college town. Um, turned out college towns are usually run by one entertainment company that <laughs> operates in a kind of mafia style. So I was, uh, I was running out of town before I even got off the ground. Um, so it was a fun story, you know, no regrets. I learned a lot and would totally do it again if I had the opportunity. <laughs> you always have to find the silver lining as best you can. It's yeah, amazing. yeah. What, what led you to Hydrant? How did you get started? So, I, I mean, candidly, it really started in university when I was trying to solve the problem of staying hydrated whilst having a lot of fun in the evenings, playing sport and studying really hard. And I noticed, I studied biology, I was very into science, kind of almost went the medical school track. In the UK, you can do medical school at the same time as regular college. There's no oh, wow. pre-med pre equivalent. So some of my friends were doctors and I would sort of watch some of the stuff they were doing to kind of manage their performance and, and doctors go hard, if you like. They, they really were impressive. And they were drinking this really clinical looking, disgusting powder um, after nights out. And then I kind of got curious, I tried it. 
and it was made by a huge pharma company uh, in a little square thing. And it, it made me gag, honestly. It, it, was, it was truly awful from an experience standpoint, but um, I did feel the difference. And that feel the difference has become like my benchmark for all the products we make and all the products I try out in the world. Whenever there's supposed to be a function, I need to feel it. And this product made me feel it. So I started testing out everything on the shelves. It was clear that the electrolytes in that product were what were having the effect. So I was buying sports drinks, coconut waters, other powders. That was in the UK. Moved to the US for my first job. Proceeded to do exactly the same thing. You know, Pedialyte is an obvious one that I was trying out. Um, and there was kind of a stigma attached to it because right. it was, a little, you know, they, they seem to be steering their way out of that stigma. But um, really, that was where it started. I was trying to solve a problem for myself. And all of the existing products either were way too sugary, were completely ineffective, or had a ton of artificial colors, flavors, and sweeteners, and um, just tasted gross. And, and none of those things worked for me. So uh, I kind of had been reading up on the science of hydration specifically. And I mean, going deep, because right. I wanted to really understand it. And, and that was one of the things, you know, they say when you have a degree in biology, you're basically qualified to um, go into academia or be a teacher of biology. And that's basically it. Um, obviously, you know, you, you can pivot and go different ways. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I leveraged the academia piece to actually read up on the literature and understand like, okay, what, what really is making this work? And when I got down to that level, I was, I was like, this is a very complex problem, but it's a really simple solution. And um, let's use this science to make a better product. And I have no food and beverage background, uh, no supplement background at all. That part I had to learn from the ground up very quickly. Um, but, you know, to this day, you got to feel the difference. It needs to be a cleaner ingredient deck than anything else on the market. Um, and it's got to taste good. Those three things are really like, it's, it's a simple formula. Very simple formula, but hard to execute simultaneously, I'd assume. Yeah, it, it is hard to execute. And then I would also say like, as you grow, staying focused and true to, to that kind of product philosophy becomes more and more difficult. You know, we start getting into categories where, you know, you might have an ingredient that just like, it tastes bad. There's no other way. And like, it's very functional, but it tastes bad. And you have to figure out an elegant way of making it taste good or masking the bad taste. And, and, and it, it's tricky. It's challenging. Totally. And with that being said, since you, you didn't have the, the food or the product experience that you maybe would have liked before you started, how did you think about the early team construction of how you, you pulled everybody together to start working on Hydrant? Like, what was your approach? Yeah. So Hydrant started initially, it was just me. And I spoke to some very smart people who I, you know, at the time, they were informal advisors. We've brought them on more formally now, some of them also in an investor capacity. Um, and I'm very grateful for all of their advice and support over the years. Um, and they helped me make some of the key decisions like powder or liquid. Okay, powder means we can take advantage of these different distribution channels, let's do that. Um, very glad we made that choice. Uh, then for some time it was really hiring experts in their given field. So I worked with a beverage developer company. So basically a formulator where you hire them to help you with the creation. I did the functional side of things, they did the taste side of things. Um, and, and that worked pretty well to get to like a version one formula. I hired a branding agency, uh, which was really, it was a very small one. So it was like one guy and his friend who was a designer, amazing team. And, you know, they, they put out great work. So worked with them to get what I call a V1 brand and worked with a different, very small group of marketers to help build like V1 website. And those three set the baseline, 
summer of 2018, we're doing kind of nominal revenue online, at which point I was kind of realizing, okay, I don't really have any money. I have some products and I have this brand and uh, I need to go fundraise. And at that point, uh, very serendipitously, I was introduced to my now co-founder, Jay, uh, who has a completely different background to me. He's really from that kind of venture, private equity world, finance world, where he's very good with numbers. He's, he's thinking in bets always. And we, we don't have a ton of overlap on skill set, which is actually fantastic in terms oh, yeah. of scaling a lean company. Um, so, you know, I really focused on brand and product and the, and the supply chain side of things. And he was really focused on um, the kind of revenue side. So fundraising, uh, retail sales, performance marketing uh, and finance. So um, that was like the initial split. And then from there, building out the team, honestly, I, I think... There's a few pieces. There's one is like, what are the founders not good at? And you hire for that. Um, and then what are the other weakness areas or, or what are the, the bad uses of time, like the inefficient uses of time? Um, but the first hire we made was a head of operations. So head of supply chain. And that was really to just run like purchasing and uh, quality, all of that side of the equation uh, to help us, you know, scale as fast as we wanted to scale and um no regrets there you know we've done we've done pretty well since that original hire so totally and just i want to jump back to to what you just said about your co-founder and how mm -hmm. you complement each other and it's almost like a yin and yang is there is there any work you had to do or self-reflection or whatever to get comfortable with that being the case because i know personal experience i have a really tough time delegating i have a tough time letting go and accepting the fact that you know what, I'm not just going to deal with this part of the business. I'll stay in the loop. I don't know. Is there anything that you can drop as a nugget to, to folks wanting to start a company or trying to level up that got you comfortable with that? Because I feel like that's very important. Yeah, it, it is. It's super important. And, and you know, we did struggle with it. I, I, I it's, it's hard to drop a nugget of knowledge right. because I, I, I don't know that I have anything that's really distilled like that. I would say, um, yeah, I'll try. I'll try and not <laughs> ramble. Um, so, there was absolutely trouble at the beginning. Um, but I think what got both Jay and I through it was, and, and at the time I didn't know, we weren't searching or filtering for this. We sort of, we, we did some reference calls of each other because we had no, you know, we had this one shared friend, that was it. So we did these reference calls um, and, you know, obviously reference calls aren't perfect, but, uh, you know, I think we were both looking for integrity and ambition. Th those were sort of the two main things we were looking for at first. Um, what, we got lucky with was that we both have a growth mindset and are kind of looking to level up constantly, both personally and professionally. And so at first, you know, I'm the first to put my hand up and say, I wasn't great at delegating. I wasn't great at letting go. Like the poor guy joins this team, you know, he's suddenly co-founder. Uh, he actually, the story's great. He, he dropped out of Wharton three weeks in, pulled his tuition money out and then put it into the business. So the wow. guy's, yeah, he's on Damn. another level. So he then is dealing with, you know, stubborn founder who, who's like protective of all these different bits of the business. So I, I had to let go. And to his credit, he was incredibly patient as, as like I worked through that process for myself. And I would say by the time we got to um, like spring of 2019, I was like, hands off, you, you run with it, you know, and uh, I'll get out of your way on your stuff and, and you know, I'll stay hands on with mine. And, and to be clear, like we're not not communicating Totally. And like in the silos, it, it's, so it's a very trust. Exactly. It's, it's trust. And it feels great to have someone, I, I mean, it, to anyone who's running something solo, it, it's such a lonely experience. And then to, to bring on someone who you trust, who shares the ambition 
and the desire to make this thing work, like, oh, it, it just, it's a, a game changer. Incredible. Thank you. I, I just felt like that was really important to touch on just for everybody building at home and just to highlight because that, that's, that's really solid. Um, jumping back, you mentioned you've been iterating on the product quite a bit uh, since inception. Um, where, where is the current state of the product? Like, how did you get to what you're offering now um, from the original powder? Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with the core hydration product and then I'll explain some of the, the experiments. Perfect. So um, one of the things I learned very early on was that perfection is kind of a myth. So I probably spent three to six months too long working on the perfect formula for that original product, the uh, lime hydration powder that we first launched. And in doing so, I didn't realize how much of a resource time was and how much I was really wasting. I was saving money, I was making it perfect, but as soon as it got onto the market, you start getting real customer feedback. People who've paid, people who you've paid to acquire as a customer, and they are ruthless. Yes. And, and they are right, is the other thing. Like, and I know it's cliche. I know everyone says this, like, you know, your friends and family, they're not going to give you good feedback. But it really, like, I cannot stress enough how important it was to get that real feedback from customers. And then also from investors. So investors, would, that, that's the feedback that really hurts. When, you, you know, you're pitching someone, you send them some product, and they're like, yeah, it didn't dissolve very well. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah, scathing. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's really scathing. So we have, like, dissolving issues. There were some um, dissolvability issues. Uh, wait, sorry, no, I said the same thing twice. Dissolvability issues and then also um, like a saltiness, salty taste. So salt is one of the ingredients in hydrant. Um, in fact, there's like an Easter egg in our logo that is the sodium chloride molecule most people don't know about. Oh, um, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's very secretive, like so much so. <laughs> I think this is the first time I've ever mentioned it. But um, it was too salty. So we have, I think we're on V4 of our product, of our core hydration product now. And that's just the base, not including the different flavors on top. Um, and, you know, those subtle changes over time have definitely improved the product. There was like one time, I think, where one of the changes made some customers say, hey, like, I preferred the old version. And everyone else was like, are you crazy? Like, this is way better. The new one is just so much better. So being listening to the feedback, aggregating it, making sure you listen for good feedback. Um, uh, sorry, good quality feedback. All feedback is good. But like the quality um, so that you make the right decisions on the product was one piece. Then in terms of like where we went to with the other product uh, verticals, um, for us, we were having a lot of success by educating people around this morning hydration use case. And a lot of questions we were fielding were, should I have this before or after my morning coffee? And at that point, there was a sort of a bit of a light bulb moment, which was, well, hang on, why don't we just make the product with caffeine uh, so that they kind of can skip the coffee? And it was an aggressive move, right? Coffee is an entrenched totally. ritual. I still drink coffee, um, but the we were we're out here to make big bets. We're not here to sort of uh, you know just do the dumb thing because you're not gonna you're not gonna win. Um, and so we did that. We also looked at how we could make the product fundamentally better. Like, what is a problem with coffee? Well, coffee you get the ups of the caffeine and then the crash at the end. You also get the the jitteriness of it. And there's this ingredient, L-theanine, um, which is an amino acid found in green tea. A lot of studies have been done on it paired specifically with caffeine. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, it has a high proportion in matcha, which I think is one of the reasons matcha is so popular. Right. Um, so what we did is we are like, wait, hang on. How, how do we like blow this thing up? So we took the L-theanine concentration to caffeine from green tea. And we like 20x the L-theanine and double the caffeine. So you get like loads of the calming thing 
and like still a good chunk of the, the energizing caffeine, but together it leads to this like focused, focused energy that is unlike anything um, I'd experienced before. So again, feeling the difference was so important to us. Um, and that, that was that next step. Uh, immunity was the, the following one. I think immunity is like a little bit more obvious. It's a less, less interesting product story there. Um, obviously with COVID, it became even more relevant. But um, it had been on the roadmap before COVID came around. I, I, I want to like plant the flag there and say right. it, was, it, it was proactive, <laughs> not, not reactionary. reactionary. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the the other one that I think it was particularly difficult for us that's worth talking about is, um, so we have a no added sugar skew. So our regular hydration product has uh, between three and five grams of sugar, depending on which flavor you choose. And sugar plays a really important role in hydration. It, it actually can speed up the process. So for a long time, the biggest pushback we would get um, was, hey, why is there sugar in this product? Why is there so much sugar in this product? I was like, are you kidding me? There's not much sugar at all. Right. But for some people, what I learned is, you know, three to five grams is a ton of sugar. Um, and we were effectively just disqualifying all of these potential customers because we weren't willing to entertain a product with zero sugar because the, the sugar plays a role in the function. But... What I learned is that our product philosophy was so appealing to these people that we had to bend one rule in order to let these other customers access our products. They wanted the experience, the taste, uh, and the, the right electrolyte balance. And they were okay with losing the sugar and the function of the sugar in order to access that. So that was a difficult product decision because like, I, I did have to sort of get comfortable with, with breaking one rule. Um, yeah, a but, bit of a compromise. Uh, yeah, a bit of a compromise, which never feels good, but uh, I think it was the right decision. Yeah, greater good. Um, how how are you finding your customers? Is is there? I mean, obviously, I don't want you to divulge the secret sauce and customer <laughs> acquisition or anything, but yeah. where are you finding the most actual comfortable place for you and the brand to be having a conversation with customers? So, to date, the majority has definitely been paid digital acquisition. So, Facebook, Instagram, Google, um, and I think. What we found is that's really good for a, an early stage company because you get a tight feedback loop. That's how we learn, hey, a product is too salty, product has too much sugar, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, and we really needed that. But as you scale, it gets to a sort of diminishing marginal return point where actually acquiring another customer where you're actually paying up front to, to get them to try your product is not the most efficient way to scale your brand. And so for us, we kind of always had this, this thesis that the playbook for a direct consumer startup had to be different, especially in food and beverage, because the, the, what worked for the Warby Parkers and the Caspers of the world was, you know, now I, I don't even know how many years ago, six, six years ago when they were playing that game, you know, they all did a phenomenal job, but um, it wasn't going to work for us. Our, our like, you know, pack cost, the average cost is around like 37 bucks, um, 30 to 37 bucks. And so, you know, we really had to play a different kind of game where we're bringing people back as much as possible and where we're finding them in different places offline. So it didn't make sense for us to make like the, the hydrant store. Right. Instead, of course, we went to traditional retail. Um, we started out in 2019 doing uh, the Northeast region of Whole Foods, wow. which was, um, it was a, a great way to dip our toe in and make some mistakes early on and just learn like, okay, you know, you have to be so tuned in to what should the pack size be? What should the price be? What should the design on the pack be? We learned like as a brand, we'd made decisions for direct consumer. We did not make the decisions for retail. And you could argue, hey, like actually you'll stand out on the shelf 
with a direct consumer package because usually there's just less information. Um, and so it looks minimalist and cool. But ultimately, like you have seconds to get someone to, co to convince them, hey, this is the product for you. It's going to solve a problem. So we, we really had to kind of take a step back and rethink packaging and our strategy. And the biggest kind of news of last year was we launched in Walmart nationwide. Um, That's which, amazing. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. It, it's, um, it is amazing. It, it, it's scary, right? It's like a huge, huge account and a new type of customer. I, I don't know how many of the customers at shopping at Walmart we were getting with our Facebook and Instagram advertising. So, um, you know, it, it's been a real learning curve and uh, we're excited to continue pursuing this omni-channel approach where our efforts online help our efforts offline, our efforts offline will help our efforts online and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then of course, Amazon uh, is kind of like the the 10 ton gorilla in the corner. You can't ignore it. Um, we were on Amazon in 2019 and in 2020 and, and we'll continue to invest there because it you, you kind of can't skip it at this point. Completely necessary. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to say evil, but necessary uh, thing to do, I guess, for lack of a more verbose way to say it. But <laughs> um, you touched on it before, and the answer I think is everything's top secret. But if there's anything you can share in the pipeline, other than stay tuned, I'd love it if that was this time. But unrealistic. So, I I guess uh, this month we'll be dropping one new product line, which we're really excited about. Um, and that's about as much information as I can give for now. <laughs> I, that's more than I thought I was going to get, so I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. John, where can we find you, the Open Dialogue listeners, I guess, find you or Hydrant online, or where do you want to drive people? Uh, so I would drive people to our website, which is drinkhydrant.com, or our company socials, which are all at drinkhydrant. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's the best place. Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this today. Cool. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.